talking these two different areas. And this morning, I'm going to preach on the great things that our God has done. And we're going to continue in Luke chapter 1 to, to unpack Mary's uh, song together. But before we jump right in, I kind of want to lay some foundation for where we're going to be later on here this morning. Uh, there's many different passages that kind of unpack the great things God has done for us. Uh, in fact, that's the whole story of Christmas, is, is God's amazing work in sending us a Savior to be born for us on our behalf. And so I want to kind of share two verses to kind of kick us off that are going to launch us into kind of the body of what we're going to be talking about here this morning. The first passage is in 1 Samuel. It's chapter 12, verse 24. And before I just jump in and read the passage, uh, I want to kind of outline it for us a little bit so that we can understand some of its context. Samuel was one of the last judges remaining uh, in the Old Testament, and God was about to provide Israel with the king. And so they've been asking for kings uh, for a long time, and so he's about to do this. But uh, Samuel, as this judge, is proclaiming to the Israelites um, that they need to be careful because they had found themselves wrapped around in this constant cycle of building idols for themselves to worship and then falling down before those idols in worship to them, and then everything would fall off from underneath their feet, and they would find themselves crying out to the Lord once again, and he would come into their lives, and he would once again deliver them. Uh, this was a cycle over and over that they fell into, and uh, it's possible that maybe some of us in this room today find ourselves from time to time falling into that cycle, where we have sin in our life that we fall into, and we kind of turn away, but then we cry out to the Lord, and he comes, and he delivers us, and then uh, we celebrate, and then we find ourselves back to where we began. And so it's kind of in this place of rebellion that Samuel approaches the Israelites, and this is what he says. Chapter 12, verse 24, he says, Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things the Lord has done for you. Consider what great things the Lord has done for you. Christmas is a, a time of uh, busyness for a lot of us. We're, we're just going, we're, we're doing a lot of things, we're preparing for people to come, preparing to travel. I don't think I've bought any of my gifts at this point, so I'm in trouble. Um, there's just a lot of things that can really take our attention. And the question I just wanna pose is, when is the last time that you just paused to consider? You know, we're not typically people who really like to consider almost anything, to take time to reflect and to acknowledge that together, especially something like this, that the birth of Christ, such a significant moment in our lives, when is the last time that you've just paused, not only to acknowledge that he's being born, but to reflect and to consider what that means for your own life? That's part of the invitation for us here this morning is to take this next week and just let it soak in and let it breathe so that we can connect it to our own life. But as we transition to this next verse, we're going to see not only are we considering, Psalm 118 verse 17 says it this way, I will not die, but will live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. You see, in this same passage, he's addressing something similar that he's connecting the dots between a rebellious people and the uh, reviving power of God in terms of he is a redeeming God in the midst of our rebellion. 
And notice he, he doesn't just say to stop and consider, he goes and says to proclaim it to the world. You know, it's one thing to acknowledge and to even consider what it is that the Lord has done. It's a whole other thing to proclaim it with all of our lives. And I think that many people in here would agree with me that almost nobody does this better than children. That is why we're having our children come this morning and they're gonna proclaim and consider with us all of the great things that God has done through the story of Christmas. But prior to their proclamation, I need to invite you to consider something with me. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us. Has the Lord done great things for you? Has the Lord done great things for you? And if he has, have you taken time this Advent season to pause and consider that reality? And not only consider, but join with our kids and proclaim it to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what Mary did in her Magnificat, her song, is she didn't just stop to ponder, but she actually proclaimed it into the world. That's what we're gonna look at here is, is this verse, this passage that we've been unpacking in Luke chapter one. I wanna draw your attention to verse 48 and 49 when Mary says it this way. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. There's a couple things to acknowledge together when we look at this verse. Notice when Mary is proclaiming this, She's not proclaiming the greatness of herself. She's not even proclaiming the greatness of us as a people. She's proclaiming the greatness of the mighty one. It's all about God. It's all about what he has done. That's what Christmas is. It's the story of God's amazing work in our lives by providing us with a savior in the midst of our brokenness and sin. So it's this emphasis on what God has done. But then notice also what she does. She makes it incredibly personal. For her, it's not enough to say, the mighty one has done great things for us. She says, the mighty one has done great things for me. You see, she took this generic yet beautiful claim like made in one, Psalm 126, verse three, and she made it personal to the Lord's own working and his own moving and his own presence in her own life. Mary knew, just like many of us today, that if the Christmas story is not made personal, it ultimately does not mean anything. How can we consider, how can we proclaim to the world what the Lord has done if it has not been first made personal to us? So we see a couple things. She's magnifying God's work in this. It's been made personal to her own life. But lastly, when she's regarding it and referring to the great things God has done in this story, she's really uh, referring to the event of the Christmas story, right? That she had said yes to God the Father to become pregnant with God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. I love how St. Augustine put it, he said it this way, speaking to Mary, he said, what great things he has done to you. I believe that as a creature you gave birth to the creator, as a servant you brought forth the Lord, and that through you, through Mary, God redeemed the world, and through you he restored it to life. What a beautiful recognition for us this morning of what God has done in Christmas by sending us a savior to be among us. And yet, I think this verse goes far beyond just a single event. 
Yes, the event of Christmas is significant to say that the Lord has done amazing things for us, and because of that, we are filled with joy. But the Lord's been doing amazing things since before the beginning of time. In fact, it would take all eternity for you and I to gather here together this morning and proclaim together all that the Lord has done. And we don't have all eternity here this morning. But we do have a few minutes here together And if you are willing to join me, what I want to do this morning is I want to just take a few moments to proclaim as best we can what the Lord has done through every single one of the 66 books of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, just to give us a taste of what it is that the Lord has done. So if you're ready to join me on this journey, say ready. In Genesis, he has created us in his image. In Exodus, he brought us out of the land of slavery In Leviticus, he instructed us to be holy, for he himself is holy. In Numbers, he had patience with us as we wrestled with unbelief. In Deuteronomy, he has led us to the promised land. In Joshua, he told us to be strong and courageous, to not be afraid or discouraged, for he will be with us wherever we go. In Judges, he gave us a divine and a righteous king. In Ruth, he demonstrated his faithfulness, his commitment, his providence to each and every one of us. In 1 Samuel, he honored those who first honored him. In 2 Samuel, he established David as a king forever for whom the line would come, the savior of the world. In 1 Kings, he showed himself to be superior over all false gods and all false powers. In 2 Kings, he brought us to himself despite our own wickedness and our own disobedience. In First Chronicles, he established his covenant with us, fulfilling his promise and put into place the throne of his kingdom and dominion forever. In Second Chronicles, he heard from heaven and he forgave our sin and healed our land when we humbled ourselves, praying to him, seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways. In Ezra, he called us to a life of faithfulness, worship, and obedience to the law. In Nehemiah, he restored Jerusalem. In Esther, he reminded us that although sometimes God is silent, he is never, ever absent. In Job, he was exalted in Job's life, even through trial and tribulation. In the Psalms, he gave us a reason to sing. In Proverbs, he gave us wisdom and instruction for righteousness' sake. In Ecclesiastes, he called us to fear him, for he will bring every good and righteous and evil deed into judgment. In Song of Solomon, he gave us the sacred gift of marriage. In Isaiah, he offered us cleansing of sins through faith and obedience. In Jeremiah, he gave us a hope and a future. In Lamentations, he led us to mourn over our sin and plead for forgiveness and then provided forgiveness for us. In Ezekiel, he gave us new hearts and put a new spirit in us, removing from us our heart of stone and replacing with it a heart of flesh. In Daniel, he reigned in perfect righteousness, even in the midst of a world of godlessness. In Hosea, he showed us compassion when we were unfaithful and adulterous. In Joel, he showed us his salvation, even in the midst of his judgment. In Amos, he declared to us his justice. And on Obadiah, he comforted us in the middle of all of life's disappointments by exalting the humble and humbling the exalted. 
In Jonah, he called to us to repent, to live a life of righteousness. In Micah, he judged us righteously because of our sin and restored us yet in his compassion. In Nahum, he's our stronghold in the day of trouble. In Habakkuk, he proved himself to be trustworthy through any circumstance in this life that you and I may ever find ourselves in. In Zephaniah, he knew us better than you and I have ever known ourselves. In Haggai, he restored the house of the Lord. In Zechariah, he remembered his promises to his people that would soon be fulfilled in the coming of his son. In Malachi, he sent us a messenger in John the Baptist who would prepare the way of the Lord. In Matthew, who is born of the Virgin Mary. In Mark, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. In Luke, he was crucified, died, and was buried. And in John, he raised to life and praise be to God and seated at the right hand of the Father. In Acts, he gave us the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he showed us the riches of his grace in Christ through the message of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, he called us to be in the world, but not of the world, by giving us gifts that would soon transform the world. In 2 Corinthians, he is our our strength in our weakness. In Galatians, he told us of the world's greatest problem of sin with the world's greatest solution which is Christ. In Ephesians, he saved us by his grace through our faith. In Philippians, he comforted us in the midst of our suffering. In Colossians, he acted through Christ to secure redemption and reconciliation with God for all who had placed their faith and trust in him. In 1 Thessalonians, he rose so that we too may rise. In 2 Thessalonians, he gave us strength even in the midst of persecution. In 1 Timothy, he equipped us as the church so that we would be healthy and strong. In 2 Timothy, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. In Titus, he saved us not because of the righteous acts and deeds that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of new birth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. In Philemon, he called us to show others the same love and forgiveness that we ourselves have first received. In Hebrews, he knew our weakness and yet proved himself to be greater than our weakness. In James, he taught us what it meant to live out the Christian life. In 1 Peter, he filled us with a living hope. That's where we get the name of our church, through Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead. In 2 Peter, his grace in Christ transformed and empowered us to live righteously even in the midst of our greatest opposition. In 1 John, he walked, uh, called us to walk in love so that we have first received in Christ. In 2 John, he protected his message by warning us against false teachers and false believers. In 3 John, he revealed to us the truth of God through his word. In Jude, he filled us with grace that we may persevere in this truth. In Revelation, he has promised that he will come again. Now, I know that we're Lutheran in this room, but can someone give our God a shout of praise here this morning? The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. But listen, none of this means anything. It doesn't mean anything if the Lord hasn't done these things for you. If you've given your life to Christ here this morning, this is not just the story of the Bible, this is your story. That you have been changed, you've been transformed. And if you've not given your life to Christ here today, this may not be your story yet, but I don't want anybody leaving here this morning without fully understanding 
the weight of the invitation that is being placed on the table. That the story of Christmas is that God loves you and that you are a sinner and I am a sinner and our sin has separated us from God and God cannot be in the presence of sin because he doesn't have any sin and so he must punish sin. But while that was the case, while we were still sinners, Christmas happened and he sent his one and only son to be born of a virgin and to take on human flesh. Pastor Craig Rochelle said it this way, God loves us so much that he didn't just shout his love from heaven, but he showed his love on earth. And you and I can find complete, total forgiveness of our sin through belief in Jesus Christ by what he has done upon that cross. It's a free gift that he has given, not a merit that you and I have earned, but when we repent of our sin that is separating us from him and when we believe in his name, who he is as God incarnate and what he has done by taking our punishment upon himself for us personally, this is the free gift that he has given. You see, Christmas, we give good gifts. So did God. So the question today is, have you received this gift? Has the Lord done these great things for you? And if he has, are you going to take time this Christmas, this Advent season, to pause, to reflect, and consider all that it is that he has done in your life? And will you join with our kids here today in proclaiming all that he has done to the ends of the earth, that unto us a child has been born? His name is Christ the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you today that you have sent your son that we may have life in his name. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to reflect on that reality, to pause, to consider, and to move forward declaring that to the ends of the earth, Lord. But first, I pray for everyone that this reality would be made personal. Lord, change us, transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to join with our kids as they go and tell it on the mountain. We love you, Lord, we thank you, and we pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. And all of God's church said, amen. Amen.